Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, May the 8th, 2018. This is episode 2214 of the Survival Podcast. It is not the first Tuesday of the month, but it's the first Tuesday of the month that's in a week. It's not the first day that's a Tuesday. I don't know how I made that decision, but... Last week, I just wasn't ready after coming off the road to do this show with Steven, so we punted it to this week, but generally the first Tuesday of every week of the month until we get through the book that we've got compiled of questions about bugging out, bug out, trailers, living on the road, etc., alternative energy in that regard, we're going to do a lot on that today, and cooking on the road, we're going to do a lot of that today, uh, we are doing one a week, and I... I'm estimating there'll be 14 to 16 of these. This will actually go well into 2019, just on the, the, the quantity of the content. Anyway, I'll have Steve on in just a bit so we can talk about all that and get into all this good stuff with you today. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is RidgeWallet.com. I have become a huge fan of the Ridge Wallet. I've been carrying one now for about five months. They approached me at the beginning of this year. We're up into May, right? So that, that just tells you where I'm at with it. It took me a little while to get used to it. It took me a little bit of reluctance to get some, rid of some of the crap in my wallet. But I'll tell you, there's a couple things that don't happen anymore. When I forget to do it, I no longer sit on that lump of a wallet and jack up my spine. Since I don't like to do that, I generally don't take my wallet out of my pocket unless I'm changing my pants, so I don't lose my wallet anymore, in spite of the fact that I played the grab-ass game for about two months so I got used to it not being back there when I got out of my truck or whatever. Uh, I never leave my wallet in my truck when I go to the store, because a lot of times I have this little cubby hole in my truck. I'm driving down the road, and I got that lump on my butt, I pull it out and stick it in the cubby hole, and then I get out and go to the store, I got all my stuff, and then my wallet's in the... See, it sucks. I take that Ridge wallet, and that little clip is supposed to be for cash. I carry my cash separately. And I kind of clip that to the inside of my pocket. Now, it's always right there. I've got all my credit cards in it, my ID, all that good stuff. RFID protection. they got a lot of other really great stuff. They just sent me their backpack and their charger. Um, charger's good charger, but I don't hype things. So I'll say it's as good as any charger like it on the market. The backpack's really cool. i got a video that will be coming out for you guys in a couple weeks showing you the backpack. Uh, I really like the level of protection that it gives a laptop. This is kind of your urban day pack. Really nice, really well built, really impressed with it. You might want to check that out too. Um, they're awesome, and they do a discount for members of the MSB. You can learn more at RidgeWallet.com and get your discount in the MSB benefits section. Next up today, our other new sponsor of the year, ButcherBox. Imagine that somebody would go to the store for you, pick out the best meat, and bring it back to you, and that that meat was, you know, pastured pork, organic chicken, stuff like that, uh, organic beef. And so you got the best quality stuff you could get, and someone went and did it for you. That's what Butcher Box is like. And, you know, when I decide I want a little bit of a different arrangement or I want to add some things, uh, I just go into my account and change up what I'm getting. And as long as you do that within a week before your shipment of each month or every other month, depending on what frequency you sign up for, you can change it anytime you want. They also do something really cool, like this this month, uh, you know, where there was still some time left to add changes to your order. They have some really cool pork roasts. They have kind of like a one-time thing that you can add on your order. I added one of those on. It's you know, it's awesome. So actually, my next butcher box should be here at my front door tomorrow. Everything's all frozen. There's a nice little bag that it comes in with insulation. It's it's awesome. And again, it's like having your own personal shopper to go find you the best meat you can get. 
I love ButcherBox. And if I didn't, they wouldn't be a sponsor. I wouldn't recommend them to you. You know me and how I am. Check them out today, ButcherBox.com. Remember, everybody can go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on their logo, and get a discount on your first order. And those of you who are MSB members, you should go to your benefits section, and you'll get a lifelong discount at ButcherBox.com as an MSB member. All right, before I bring Steve on, let's go ahead and take a look at a year in history. We're up to the year 126 A.D. We have Hadrian's Villa. Contributed by David Verne at tspwiki.com. Hadrian, of course, being the, eh, been around for a while now, but the emperor of Rome in the year 126, if you're new to the show and the history segment, before Hadrian left on his tour. He left instructions for a villa about 18 miles from Rome. Country villas were quite common among the Roman elite, and emperors traditionally had a place to get away from the busy city of Rome. The villa was a huge complex covering 250 acres and included an arena, library, baths, temples, and a farm that kept the villa self-sufficient. Eventually, Hadrian's villa became more than just a vacation home. It became his permanent home in his later years. He and he held his court there. This irritated the Senate to no end, but they had no choice but to go along with it. My take by David Verne. In 2013, archaeological digs at the site discovered a vast series of underground tunnels that connected the buildings on the property. These tunnels were used as service routes for servants and slaves carrying supplies around the villa, while preventing the while preserving the peace on the surface, the difference in life between the wealthy and the poor during the Roman Empire was striking. The emperor's personal income was about half the empire's GDP, and at the far end of the spectrum were the slaves who were the backbone of the Roman world. People criticized capitalism for creating a huge wealth gap, but they failed to see how much better life is for the poorest segments of modern society compared to the poor of ancient and medieval eras. I would completely agree with that. I think capitalism is the greatest thing toward freeing mankind that's ever been created. And it wasn't even created. It was just allowed to exist. This is what's different about true capitalism. I'm not talking about crony capitalism. I'm not talking about the fascist economic system that's called uh, capitalism in the United States. I'm talking about pure capitalism, which is people produce value, and profit from their value and have right to that profit. It is the only system that's natural. It's the only system that doesn't actually require a government to say, this is what system we have. What I mean by that is if those of you that can't get your head around anarchism, let's go with minarchism. Let's say the government said, we'll make roads so you can have more roads. Let's say the government says you can't steal and you can't, you, you can't hurt people. That was, we're going to live by that rule, but we're going to have a minarchist state to do that. If you steal from somebody, men will come take you away. If you hurt somebody, men will come take you away. You will stay away for a specific duration based on how much you took or how bad you hurt them and what level of restitution they expect. And that was, and we'll make roads. And that was all the government did. What type of system economically would be the dominant system that you would end up with? The answer is capitalism. And it would be from the smallest person with a taco stand that says, hey, the guy that owns this piece of property said I can be here, so there's no Department of Health or anything to bother him, all the way up to mega corporations. Capitalism is the natural state of human beings doing business with each other. Socialism is not. Socialism is the natural state of insects. You always end up with capitalism if you leave people alone. That in of itself is one of the greatest cases that can be made for capitalism 
there ever could be. And with that thought, let's go ahead and get into Bug Out Trailer 6 as I welcome back my good friend and fellow capitalist, Stephen Harris. Hey, Steve, I know this is the sixth time we've been on for Bug Out Trailers, but not even counting expert counsel stuff. I think you are the number one recurring guest on the show for good reason. I'm glad to have <laughs> you back with us again today, Steve. Thanks for joining us today for Bug Out Trailer Episode 6 of... I guess 12. Who the hell knows? We'll figure it out when we get to the end, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It just as I keep on going through them, they keep on growing. And uh, everyone has been emailing me with positive feedback that they look forward to the show. The idea that it's, since it's a bug out trailer, we still cover everything preparedness, but we do it from a portal po point of view. And for the first time since the blackout of 2003, Steve Harris lost power, <laughs> and it was for about six hours, and uh, I spent a fair amount of time in my, in my bug-out trailer. I have, like, a little office in there, and I had my Verizon hotspot going and generator on uh, the Honda EU2000i on very quiet idle, and uh, just the day before, I received a Dometic low power 65 liter two cubic foot refrigerator freezer that runs off of 12 to 24 volts or 120 volts so i was sitting in my chair doing work on my computer on the verizon hotspot running off the batteries and the generator with a cooler full of uh cold beverages right next to me not bad way to spend a blackout huh <laughs> no, no, and it was a beautiful day too. So, the Steve Harris bug out trailer just got tested. Cool, man, and I, I think that's what's kind of interesting about prepping. Like, as long as nobody dies, and as long as it's not completely major life disrupting, once you have certain things prepared, you're like, please let something go wrong just for a few hours, just so yeah, just so I can have fun with this. And not only did I have you know power for myself, my neighbor was helping me. And uh, over the wintertime, Home Depot had a sale on a Sportsman inverter generator, 1,000 watts, 800 watts continuous, half-gallon fuel tank, quiet little inverter generator. And uh, I got it for testing for this audience, and I not put oil in it. So Jimmy and I put oil in it and filled it up and let it run for a few hours just to listen to it, and it ran fine. And he goes, what's that for? I go, that's for power for you and Jane and the other neighbor. Hmm. And I got, I was just going to set it in the middle of my uh, yard. I'm on the end of a court. And I got extra power cables and extra LED lights, 5-watt equivalent, 7-watt um, equivalents. Sorry, 5-watt actual draw, 7-watt actual draw, 25- and 40-watt equivalent LED bulbs and holders and so I can run power to my neighbors uh, to provide them with power. And, I, and it's just going to be the little generator. The Honda's mine. Okay, it's running my air conditioning in the bedroom and everything else that I want. You're not touching that. I mean, it's like people aren't <laughs> going to go act, you know, oh, I'm going to plug in my refrigerator or my hair dryer. You know? Yeah. 
it's like, no, you guys can use this for light and stuff, and if you plug in too much, you'll conk out the generator, and, and it, Jimmy will have to go and restart but it. How much was that generator, did you say? And it sounds like it Two, made a- $237 on sale, and it's now $347. Yeah, it'll go on sale again. I might buy two of them when it goes on sale. Five is going to keep you alive, and six is the kicks there, man. Uh, that's that's a pretty good deal on it. Uh, you said it's a, a, an inverter, a 1,000-watt a thousand, a thousand inverter. Generally. Yeah, yeah, weighs 22 pounds. Jeez. That's a little itty-bitty thing. I got quiet. it to, t- to test it, and as a backup, very quiet. Wow. Almost as quiet as the Honda. Not quite, but almost. Oh, man, that's that's cool. So, like, we're talking about power, so let's uh, let's let's go with the first question we have here, kind of power-related. It says, increased cost notwithstanding, what are the merits of upgrading to lithium or the newer type of batteries over lead-acid? Joe in Montana. But the real question for Joe in Montana is, Joe in Montana, do you live in the town called Joe Montana, named after the football star, right? But... <laughs> <laughs> you go ahead and take the uh, the battery question there. You are the battery man. Well, uh, first of all, anyone who's thinking about, oh, I'm going to make my own Tesla wall, go find a piece of concrete and beat your head against it. Uh, <laughs> you have to be absolutely lame brain misinformed to go off and buy cells from a laptop on eBay that don't work anymore and think that they're going to work for your power wall and think that a power wall is lithium is 18650 batteries it's not so for all of those going Steve what about power wall just forget it okay wait for the fifth version to come out wait for the android version of the power wall to come out before you do anything you know, you know we're in iPhone 1 and 2 phase of the power wall right now i said ignore it until it's at fifth generation but here's the short answer on um, lithium batteries have you ever seen the abuse that a golf cart takes oh uh, man it, it's yeah especially like when like like four army guys get together and don't know how to play golf but they want an excuse to run around on a golf cart and uh their main goal is to get their deposit back and not sink it in one of the ponds. But as long as that doesn't happen, they're happy. Uh, ask me how I know, you know. <laughs> Those run off what are called GC2 batteries. Uh, they are generally 6-volt. The GC2s are 6-volt batteries. So you buy two of them, and you put them in series, and they have extra thick plates. Uh, they're formulated for being discharged and recharged all the time. Uh, they're formulated to go dead. They have extra space at the bottom, so slough off that falls off the plates won't short the plates. And they have extra space at the top for extra water. Uh, they're a great battery to put into a moving vehicle because they're going to be bounced and vibrated around. Uh, that said, uh, AGM batteries, if, if you took the battery bank class from Steve Harris, you know the AGM batteries were made for a high-vibration environment uh, because of fighter jets and that they take abuse very, very good and they're, lead, and they're acid-safe, unlike the GC2s, but they cost a great deal more. So JC, GC2s are hard to beat, but the short answer is that lithium iron phosphate 
which is the type of battery we're talking about. They're saying, well, lithium batteries, but it's really a lithium iron phosphate battery versus the lead acid. The lithiums right now at this point in 2018 are exactly 10 times, 10 times more expensive than the lead acid. A 100 ampere hour group 29 lead acid, lead acid battery from Walmart, 100 bucks all day long. A deep cycle, trolling motor, uh, RV battery, you name it, Walmart, 100 bucks. The Dakota brand group 29 lithium iron phosphate battery is $949. Hmm. In fact, I got a link for you to put into the uh, TSP notes. Uh, on the smaller size, like the you know, 7 ampere hour, 10 ampere hour alarm batteries, uh, those are about 10, 12, 13, 14 dollars. And I got a Dakota lithium 10 amp version that cost 99 dollars. So it's still 10 to 1. Um, the lead as uh, the uh, group 29 lithium is 29 pounds the lead acid agm version is 65 pounds so there's over having the weight by going to lithium again 10 times the price half the weight if you are special forces go fast guy and you're humping stuff i'm telling you get the lithium iron phosphate battery if it's you bugging out I'm telling you, get the lead acid battery. So the advantages of the lead acid lithium is one weight. It's better than half the weight of the lead acid. Two, the lithium battery can do 2,000 to 5,000 cycles as an 80% depth of discharge as compared to 200 to 500 cycles for the lead acid. So they got a lot better life. And when they start becoming really mass manufactured and come down to be just twice the price of lead acid, they're going to be a really great battery for preppers. Now, there are some minor sucky parts uh, about the lithiums. Uh, a lithium just won't put out 600 amps like a lead acid. You take a lead-acid battery, you put it across your starter on a cold day, you turn the key, boom, 600, 850 amps, what they call cold cranking amps, to turn that starter. Well, the Group 29 lithium, the, the lithium equivalent of its lead-acid, is 200 amps max, very temporarily, like a fraction of a second, 100 amps continuous discharge. So it sucks for a starting battery. This is the Group 29 battery that I just mentioned. Your max continuous wattage. Because of this limitation, you go, oh, big deal, 100 amps. Well, it means your maximum continuous wattage that you can suck from the thing from 112-volt, 100-ampere-hour lithium-iron phosphate Group 29 battery will be about 1,200 watts max steady state. So you'll need two of them in parallel if you want to run your coffee maker, and I promised you coffee, <laughs> or or an electric chainsaw, okay? 
It's only going to, you know, it doesn't matter if you got a 5,000 watt inverter, if the lithium iron phosphate can only put out 1,200 watts, that's all you're going to get from them, so you better put two of them in parallel. So, let's see. Uh, so, for bugging out, you'll probably want to stick with the lead acid batteries. Uh, you can get two 12-volt lead-acid deep-cycle marine batteries from Walmart. Uh, for two is one, one is none. I can pick up one 12-volt, move it around, keep the other one in the trailer, put one on the picking table, whatever you want to do. Put one on jumper cables on the car or, or the truck to recharge while the other one's being used. Or you can use two GC2, as in golf cart, two 6-volt golf cart battery from Sam's Club. Is a great place to get them. Some Costco has them. Uh, if you're a really super spy ninja go fast guy humping stuff for three weeks on a mission, I'd uh, have you using the disposable zinc air batteries, but that's a subject for another show. What do you think about batteries, Jack? I, I don't think I really have to add very much there. I mean, I just think I would sum it up this way. So it costs ten times more, yep. and it's not ten times better. Now, if it were ten, now unless you have a specific application, like you said, where weight really comes into it, if it were exactly ten times better, I still wouldn't do it at ten times the cost for right. a variety of reasons. One, I retain my capital now. Uh, right. The other side is that this is an evolving technology. Very so much. if you wait, it will not cost ten times more. And it probably will be close to ten times better. And then we can start buying those. And I think that's kind of your point there, that this is a infant technology. I have a, a good friend that's actually just about to go to work um, at the Gigafactory in, uh, in, in uh, Nevada. Yep. And, and, I mean, when you look at that one factory and its production capacity alone, when it's fully online, it's a game changer. And it's not the only one. They're building, I think, two similar type of production facilities in China, and then they're building one. I, I, I don't understand why, but it's like it's in it's either Norway or Finland, and it's 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 completely retarded where they're putting it. It's like up the part where it's like, you know, eternal winter for four months out, six months out of the year, and it's like 25 miles from a port, but I think it's Norway. They're building it there. I guess the Finns are the Nord Norwegians are crazy, but that's another factory with the capacity to do this. And when you start looking at it that way, the whole world is switching to this technology. And what did a VCR cost in 1985 versus 1990? Right. And I don't know you're looking at that big of an economy of scale, but it's 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 going to be majorly significant and this is kind of a holding weight not yet pattern. This makes the VCR market look like bubblegum mm. or or smaller. Uh, Elon Musk has made the Gigafactory a line item. You can get a hold of Tesla and say, I'd like to buy three Gigafactories, have two of them in China, have one of them in Europe, and they'll say, okay, where do you want them? Send us a deposit, and we'll start building it. Uh, those are primar primarily going to make what's called 21700 cells. Mm -hmm. If you've heard of 18650, it's a 21700s. Basically are just a little bit bigger and they give you about 50% more energy. And Elon Musk, has they have already gotten bought the property adjacent to the Gigafactory so they can have two Gigafactories in, next to each other in Nevada. 
So look for things, serious things to be changing in the field of lithium, uh, lithium ion batteries. Lithium batteries, straight lithium batteries are basically disposable. Those are like the Energizer, uh, lithium batteries that you buy at Walmart. Those are used and throw away. Lithium ion batteries is an entire family of flavors. Lithium iron, lithium, uh, ions, uh, uh, cobalt batteries, uh, there's all other sorts of rare earth man- minerals put into them to change their flavor, their voltages, their discharges, their tolerance to discharge, their, temp- their high temperature, low temperature ability. There's literally 20, 30 flavors of those and look for big changes coming, especially around 2020. Cool, man. So let's keep moving, though, so we don't have a show on lithium batteries alone. Um, Jack and Steve, what about maps, especially paper maps? While I do have Google Maps and Waze, what are my options for the old-fashioned paper maps? Herman in Nevada. Well, I love maps. I can sit and look at a map, and it's details for hours. fascinates me. What's the first thing that comes to your mind, Jack, when he's asking this question? The days when it's all we had and pulling yep. over to the side of the road on a long road trip and unfolding one of those giant individual state maps. Um, and I always also kept uh, the, like the, you know, the National Atlas because that gave you like the big picture. Yep. But fighting the folding map and how happy I was when they started making the ones that are laminated. The oh, laminated yeah. states, you know, like it's one yep. whole state. Maybe on mm-hmm. the backside, it's got a couple of exploded views of uh, more uh, large cities and metropolitan areas. And when you fold it up, it's just like it goes back together like, you know, an accordion. And I keep those in my truck. I have a national map, and I don't have every state in the country because I don't go to every state in the country, but I have my state and every state that touches my state in one of those laminated type fold up mats. Yeah, well. Nevada, which is one of my favorite states, uh, don't forget if you're a AAA member, they still give away these maps of the states for free. Um, so you can start at the most simple. Uh, you can go onto Amazon or go to Barnes and Noble and other places and you can buy on Amazon the individual state maps that Jack was just talking about. Uh, look for the laminated ones, especially for your state. But on Amazon and at truck stops and at Barnes and Noble and at AAA, they sell it. It's the USA Road Atlas that you just mentioned. It has every state in it and it's fairly detailed. It's like an inch thick. You know, stop a slow moving nine millimeter bullet. Um, it's got all the primary and secondary roads, but not all of the back roads, especially the dirt and two-track back roads, which is where you might be wanting to bug out. Uh, but this atlas, United States atlas, or I'm sorry, this is a global audience, your European atlas or your Australian atlas, don't want to forget about you Aussies down there that love us. Uh, this is your first, easiest, most simple map option. One book, all states, all areas, all provinces. Uh, you guys in Canada, too. Uh, it'll get you anywhere you want to be. Uh, I have to use reading glasses when reading with maps. 
but you might want to have actually a dedicated pair of $10 readers, $10 readers taped to the map book just in case, maybe with a simple double uh, A LED flashlight. That way when you go, where's my map? Uh, your wife hands you the map book and there's your, um, glasses and flashlight to read the map at night. Uh, the old fashioned paper fold out ma- maps, as I said, uh, they're all over Amazon. They have the, actually the fold out maps have more detail on them than the single USA road atlas has detail on them. If you're really smart, you'll have already selected places on the map to bug out to and have driven there and looked at firsthand to see if it's a good place. Uh, when I travel the USA, I try to have a paper map for every state I'm going through. That could be like 30 maps. Triple uh, A keeps on giving them to me. And I study them like crazy before I go. And I always pick out the back roads that I want to go. And I deeply remember driving Highway 36, the Pony Express Highway, all through Canvas, all, uh, Kansas, all the way to Denver. One of the most beautiful rides I've ever had. Uh, the sun was going down. The wind was blowing. The wheat stalks were blowing back and forth in the wind. Uh, it got to be a full moon. I could actually drive with my headlights off, but the moon was so bright. It was beautiful. Uh, then there's Highway 50 in Nevada, the loneliest highway in America. That's one heck of a drive. So when you travel, take the back roads. It's the journey, not the destination. Now, I bet Jack has these. The most detailed maps you can find is the state atlas, like the Texas atlas, the Michigan atlas. Um, There could be some other words in it, like Michigan Recreational Atlas. But the key words is your state name and and atlas. Now, Delorme makes a lot of these. They're about $30 each, and they have a map. Every page is a map of every single county in your state. Unless you're like Brewster County in Texas, I'm sure there are several pages. (laughs) (laughs) But they have... Every road of any type, if it's a two-track road going through the brush, it's in this map. If it's an off-road maze for off-roading, it's actually in this map. If a vehicle can go down it or a human, it's in there because I've seen hiking trails. Uh, This is the most incredible detail you can find, and I highly suggest it as part of your bug-out uh, preparedness. Now, Jack, you got a bug out place that you would bug out to? Uh, long, you- yeah, long ago, I have actually stated that you should have a documentation package. I did a show on it somewhere in the hundreds. And mm-hmm. my documentation package, in addition to all the other map stuff we're talking about here, includes a section in a three-ring binder that you print out. And that way, if you make a change to it, you print out the new stuff and add it or replace the old stuff, and you do it all on a computer so you can make multiple copies so there's one in every vehicle. Mm-hmm. Family gets separated. Everybody has the same stuff. And as far as bug-out routes, three destinations, three routes to each, 
done on Google Maps, printed out, highlighted, and notes made. Mm-hmm. And that is the, you know, the, the, then all the other stuff supports that. So that we've actually sat down and thought about it. Because I know people are like, well, I got my aunt. She's in Oklahoma City. And if there's a disaster, I'll just run up there. It's only two and a half hours from where I'm at. Well, not if the problem is, you know, covering that avenue of egress. So I believe you have multiple places that you would go and then multiple routes to those places with priority. So, for instance, one alpha would be your, your most desirable location, your most desirable route to get there. One Bravo, your most desirable and second most desirable route. One Charlie, et cetera, and that proceeds on down. I guess that's the military guy in me, but that is something I put together almost 10 years ago now for my own family. And mm-hmm. I think that it, what it does is it, it does a lot of what we're doing here today, because even if you never use it, it puts you into the position of using forethought. When we start using forethought, We start thinking about, well, what else could go wrong? And as long as we don't get all retarded about it and start freaking out about it, that leads us to positive actions that put redundancies in place. A little addition that I wanted to add, and this is something that came up totally not related to maps, but it totally makes sense for maps. I'm with you on the reading glasses, and I'm one of these weird people. I need my glasses to see far away, but when I try to read, I've got to take them off, which doesn't help me when the thing's really small and I can't see it. The little trick with the camera about taking pictures of maps so you have a record of them, great. Yep. But if you're sitting there and you can't read the map, take a picture of it and blow it up. And now you can read it. So take a picture of the area where you can't decipher what it says or whatever. And I, I, I actually developed this, like, sometimes you get, like, a pill bottle or, you know, uh, the tiny instructions on the back of a package or something. And you're like, I, I, I don't know what that says. Take a picture, pinch it out, and you can see what it actually says. So... Uh, that's something I've used a lot, and actually I got to give my wife credit. She's the one that's like, "Why don't we just take a picture of them?" I'm like, oh, "Jack, why are you so stupid? You didn't think of that." Uh, it's it's a pretty simple, easy thing to do. It is, and and don't forget with maps, one of the things you can do is uh, for backing up your maps. You can take yeah, I got like a 12, 14 megapixel camera on my phone. I can take pictures of these maps, and now they're on my phone, and I can pinch in and follow them all around. Uh, as a backup to uh, a book map, I can uh, take pictures of different areas of fold-out maps. I can take pictures of full pages and book maps. Uh, I personally like the Road Atlas uh, fold-out map a lot better for a map if I'm trying to navigate someplace than Google Maps because Google Maps is Generally, they don't show you the little itty-bitty roads until you're really, really zoomed in. And the big map shows you all the roads, and you kind of, like, zoom in with your face. And uh, it's hard for me to get the detail that I want on the back roads on Google Earth going to a place. However, Google Earth has satellite and uh, view, and uh, Bing has bird's eye view. Which, if you find a place that you might want to bug out to, it's a great place, way of looking at what's there and what's around you uh, and printing out those pictures and having it be part of your bug out portfolio. So I just, I'd suggest getting a, f- a fold out paper map for where you want to go, what state, look at the map, find out where you want to go. If it looks good on the map, then go on Google Earth, study it. Uh, Look at what's around it, 
because it, the map, what it looks like on the map and what's really there are two different things. Uh, get the state atlas for the state you're going to bug out to. Uh, look in your area of interest and see what's there. Uh, the state atlas is actually going to have more detail than, than Google Earth unless you're zoomed in on photo mode. So don't forget about maps.google.com and maps.bing.com. And don't forget about the bird's eye view mode on Bing. It's great for checking out your final location. Uh, the bird's eye view are photos taken from airplanes rather than satellite. And they're very detailed, even more so than satellite. Now, you mentioned um, the military guy in you, Jack. And there's something the uh, about you you were talking about pre-planning and what it does for you. And your number one most important tool in bugging out that I learned from the military uh, in teaching them is called map study. It's the exact word terminology that they use. And you do this before you have to leave. Months, years before you have to leave, um, you can do a lot of this with paper maps, photos in your camera, print them out, mark them up, everything else. Uh, but you take a Sharpie and you start drawing on it, highlighter for your path and everything out else. You print these out, put them in your three-ring binder or in one-gallon Ziploc bags or what I use, and tape them to the inside door of your bug-out trailer. And while you – and anyways um, – Having the maps already printed out and highlighted with a Sharpie will help the person who is in the passenger seat help you navigate at 2 a.m. in the cold, dark rain when you can hardly see. Mark the Walmarts and other places you might have to pull off in case of fog or you're just too darn tired to have contingency after contingency. There's no better feeling than seeing your, than seeing your primary parachute that you just pulled have a line over the shroud, which is an unrecoverable condition, unable to be fixed. And so you cut away your parachute and you pull that reserve chute and you go, ha ha, you know, plan uh, has worked. Contingency plan uh, has been achieved. Uh, also, yes, I do have maps, 1234.com. <laughs> Uh, if you remember anything that Jack and I talked about in this whole bug out trailer show, remember this. It's no secret that I've taught and contributed to different areas of the Department of Defense and different areas of special operations. I don't say this to brag. I'm really humbled and grateful to know men and women of such quality uh, that uh, these guys are. But they taught me something. They all believe in cross-training. So while I was teaching them a three-day class on batteries and harvesting power back in the 2000s, and I was there for two weeks, they threw me into their other classes. They said, put the engineer in the class so he understands a little bit about what his students might be having to go through. Holy effing crap did I get a lifetime of knowledge. They believe in cross-training, and they cross-trained me. And uh, one of the most important things they taught me, never mind the five-day-long carbine classes, shooting 800 rounds a day, 
foreign weapons classes shooting PKM machine guns and AK-74s and massive trauma field medical classes. I'm telling you this short story so you understand where it came from because it's the highest level of quality information. The number one thing they taught me was map study. Now, there's SEER, Survival Escape, uh, R and Evasion, which generally gets shortened to E&E, escape, which is just Escape and Evasion. Um, these people study maps, sand tables. They run through mock-ups all before a mission is planned. But the lowest level study they do before they do anything is called map study. Study the point that they are to the point where they can take a blank sheet of paper and draw a map of where they're going to with a pen on the paper. So let's say I was going to Cairo, Egypt, as a civilian example. I'd be able to uh, draw a dot for the city center, draw a ring around it. I would know that's Highway 75. And that's the loop around the city, the circle, uh, the belt, the belt loop. I know that the highway 50 is the highway that went from east to west through Cairo. And I know that the Sphinx International Airport was in the northwest inner circle of the belt loop of the city. And I'd be able to put a dot where the major landmarks were. So if I was found that location i'd oh i'm in the south, southwest corner of the city and i know where my hotel was like in the northeast area the u.s embassy close to downtown where my closest hospital was that way if the taxi driver wasn't really taking me to the airport you know it's like he's not heading northeast down 50 towards 75 beltway i'd know i'm probably being taken someplace else so map study can be important and if I know, I know how to orient myself because of the major landmarks. Plus the Nile River bisects the city from north to south. So depending on what side of the river you're on, you know what side of the city you're on. This is all basic safety Americans should do when traveling. Now I had a guy give me a story a long time ago and he said, Steve, I can't tell you where or why, but we were running for our lives. We dropped our packs. We dropped our load-bearing vests, which is their ammo, their grenades, their radios, their rifle. They kept their pistols. Those are on their belt. And all they had was their first-line gear, their shirt, their cargo pants, their gear belt, their boots. And they were running for their lives. And they were in intimate threat of being caught or killed. However, these guys had emergency procedures in place, and they knew the direction to run. It's like seals will always run towards water. You know, other, most people see a river or a lake or the ocean as like, I'm going to drown. A seal see, you know, can hold his breath for two minutes, swim underwater, and get the hell you know, out of rifle range real quick. He sees it as safety. Um, but they knew what they were running towards and running away from, map study. So if you're bugging out and you're stuck in traffic or you're in the cold, dark rain, it's 2 a.m. And, and you see a sign that says, you know, everyone in the car is cranky and got to use the bathroom. And you see a sign that says St. John's, four miles. 
and you say, honey, I know there is a Walmart in St. John's that we can stop at for the night. You know that because of your map study, because you studied the route, you studied Google Earth, you made notes about where things were and what were, where they were and how far away they were and what type of road was to them. You just became the hero because you did map study. And map study is part of what's called tradecraft. Use it. I bet, Jack, what did you do for maps in the military? You just covered it perfectly. There's no reason to go on with it. I, I guess a couple additions is um, you, you can do this, and it's very effective, but sooner or later you will get screwed by it because something that is supposed to be there will not be there anymore or things will have changed. And that's yeah. where your earlier discussion about Bing, uh, bird's eye view, and uh, Google uh, satellite view really is helpful. And I would say Bing views are far superior to Google Earth views. However... Bing views are old, mm -hmm. very old at this point. If you look at my property on the Bing bird's eye view, you will see a big black circle just off to the west side of the rear of my house where the people here were before me had had an above ground pool and removed it and laid down a black tarp. As you might know, I've been here a while. So that image is at minimum at this point six years old. Yep. So... I would say that Bing is great for landforms and things like that. If you're actually checking, like, is this thing that was a constructed thing still there, sanity check it against Google Earth. The I don't know exactly when, and there's a way to find it. I just haven't cared that much. But the most recent images on Google Earth of my property could be no more at this point than four months old because I look at it and go, oh, that thing. Even you know, If you looked at it, you wouldn't even know what it was. But... Like I oh I know what that is and that thing <laughs> couldn't be there if the if it was you know, more than four months ago because I only got it four months ago so always sanity check that map study is a huge thing in the military especially on any kind of op uh, any kind of movement any kind of uh, convoy uh, you know the convoy plan is everybody stays in a line and follows each other great right up until something goes wrong and you can't rely on being able to follow that vehicle that's in front of you. If you think back to, uh, I can't remember what her name was, it was Jessica something. Uh, uh, Jessica Lynch. During the, the, the second Gulf War that ended up taking captive, several members of her, uh, her group were killed. That is exactly what happened to them. They got separated from their convoy. They didn't know where they were going and they ended up in the middle of nowhere. And then worse on top of it all, they were not combat troops. Um, so that is... You know, that's a real-world example of why that's so valuable, and I think it's something that you should do regardless of the whole bug-out trailer thing. If you have yep. any plan to leave, to go somewhere else, if something goes wrong, you should get to where you know that route, you know the contingencies around that route, and if you get lost and you can say, okay, well, there's a, there's a, you know, a, a mountain range right there, you know, and that's a good case for topographical maps as well, but we're not going to go into that because we, we need to keep moving along here, but... You could say, okay, well, at least I know if the if the mountain range is to my to my left right now, you know that is that is east or that is west, depending on where you are. Also, now you're orientated to everything. You can look for something else, even if you've lost all your documentation or what have you, and it, it saves lives and it, it it makes lives better. So I, I definitely am a fan of it. Moving along though, so we don't. Uh, you know, not cover enough because we're not going to get through your book you wrote for today. Um, from Jason, South Carolina, my second question is both for Stephen Jackson about the best electric cooking method, induction cop or electric pressure cooker. 
What do you say on that, Steve, for bug-out environments or off-grid environments? Well, I'm going to punt a lot of this one to you, Jack, because you are the cooking man. Um, both uh, induction cooktop is an electric cooker uh, that you put a pot on top of. Uh, you, you, the other ones that you're thinking of are the resistance type. They draw a whole bunch of power. Uh, an induction cooktop, what it does, it's you, you can turn it up all the way high and put your hand on it, and it will never burn your hand. It makes an inductive electric field that induces itself into the metal cook pot, so a, um, a glass Pyrex pot won't work at all. It's got to be metal, and it heats up the pot directly, and it heats the food off of heating the pot directly. If you pull the pot off and put your hand down, again, it's going to be cool. Uh, and they are really good for running off a generator, because you can control their power and you can set their temperature, which is really pretty nice. You can say, you know, don't go over 400 Fahrenheit if you're trying to use a wok and sear something. I don't know, but I use an induction cooktop in my bug-out trailer. It works good. And the electric pressure cooker absolutely is one of my favorite automated ways of making food. Jack has talked about it. I'm going to cook Hickam loose in a second. Um, here is an example. One example. This is what I did. It doesn't really mean it's right for you, but this is what I said was right for me. The induction cooktop and the electric pressure cooker are electric. They take a maximum of 1,500 watts. But the good thing is they only, you only need the, uh, I know a person who makes meals in their Instapot in 7 to 15 minutes. Uh, a pressure cooker cooks very fast. And the induction cooktop heats the pan up almost instantly. It's like, how long does it take to scramble some eggs? So they're really energy efficient, even though they're using a lot of energy because of how fast you can run them. Now, what I did was I spent my money on a quality generator. I got the $1,000 Honda EU 2000i and the $125 external two-and-a-half-day, six-and-a-half-gallon fuel tank, and it runs great. Instead of getting a $220 Camp Chef propane oven and cooktop for my trailer, I got the induction plate. Uh, which is a light year ahead of resistance spiral elements. That's 60 bucks. Instead of the 220 Camp Chef oven, I got a great $70 countertop electric oven, you know, stove for like your kitchen, uh, for the countertop. All I want it for is biscuits and cookies and it takes 8 to 12 minutes to do that. Big deal. These are very high quality. And they're simple and they're affordable. Uh, microwave is also uh, in my trailer. It's electric, of course. It's also a convection oven. Uh, they still make them like this, even though mine's eight years old. So I got two ways to bake. I got the 58-minute two-pound bread maker. It uses 600 max when it's cooking, uh, baking the bread. Uh, the great thing about having electricity is it allows me to run a roll around AC unit since I got the good generator and 
I even have a replacement unit I'm putting in that's AC and the heat pump. So it'll heat the trailer with 15,000 of BTUs instead of only 5,000 off a resistance heater. So I can have, well, anyways, I'll make that shorter. Um, I, I'm running monofuel. I'm running, I'm running gasoline for my trailer. I got a diesel truck and I got gasoline. If I had a gasoline truck, I'd only have gasoline, but this is just one way I went so I could concentrate on having electric. Uh, I didn't want to be hauling around propane bottle tanks and propane bottles. I do still have a single burner propane stove. I even have a Coleman stove and a Coleman lantern that runs on, you guessed it, gasoline. So I got my convenient method, my backup method. Since they're all 120 volts in the trailer and I have my battery bank as well, uh, I can run my laptop, my CPAP, my lights, my small fan, my AC, anything else off on battery. When the generator, it recharges, runs, it recharges the batteries. You might want to go all propane and that's a good route. It's, it doesn't go bad. Propane doesn't go bad. I chose all electric. Also, when I pull up someplace, I have shore power. Everything works off a single extension cord. Uh, on the subject of backup, I got also have a 30,000 BTU ventless propane heater in my trailer that runs off a propane tank, a barbecue size and larger. If I was traveling in the winter, it would be with me. But, um, Jack, you want to cover the induction cooktop and the pressure cooker? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I can talk about it. I, I see why you're using it, and that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, assuming that you've planned to do quick cooking, I think the induction cooktops work with a generator, assuming you have a high enough power generator. Um, your kind of lower, uh, your smaller induction cooktops are going to draw 1,300 watts. Right. Um, if you have a 2,000-watt generator... Um, you're not running much else while you're doing that. That's fine, though, because you can right. run that and then go do something else. Uh, your one's a little more horsepower. You're trying 1,800 up to 3,000 watts of power. So unless you're well-equipped with a generator, they're probably not your best bet. Things what like are? an Instapot, uh, your uh, carry pressure canner that I recommend, which I actually think the carry pressure canner is the best thing you can own in your house. Uh, yep. something smaller like an Instapot, uh, just from a footprint standpoint, or whatever the other one is that's also a pressure canner that only does quart-sized jars. Um, yeah. I, I would say you know that might make more sense in a, in a trailer because of space. Uh, remember, always with anything that closes up, you can store stuff inside it, so mm -hmm. you could recapture that space. Um, I am a huge fan, if you're going to be cooking – on the go of propane. It's where I would tend mm -hmm. to come down on personally. Again, like you said, you wouldn't fault somebody for propane. I wouldn't fault somebody for the electrical thing. The fact that you have equipped your trailer to be able to use short power, you can pull into an RV park, you got a 30-amp circuit there, boom, you got all the power you could ever want. You can top off your batteries, et cetera, yep. while you're there. That's awesome. Um, I think cooking on the road Let's try not to be real fussy. Let's not try to be sous vide, sous beef or something like that. Let's look at quick, down and dirty things we can cook. You mentioned in your notes doing things like rice and beans in a pressure cooker. I think that makes a lot of sense. I would kind of tend toward, on my own personal choice, 
to do a inexpensive pressure cooker that you can throw up on propane for this application, even though I love pressure cookers that are electric for my, mm -hmm. my house. Yep. Um, it is a multi-purpose tool then. I can take the lid off it. I can use it as a pot to boil noodles or rice in. If I'm going to make rice on the road, I'm probably going to use the Spearco method, which is we throw the rice in there, we boil it like pasta, and we strain the water off. And your rice will come out perfect every time, and you don't have to worry about how much water you use. Uh, beans, you know, the beauty of something like a pressure cooker is we can bring those beans up to you know a pressurized steam level, and we can just take them off the heat, and we can wrap that in a towel and leave it if you're doing dry beans, which will save you weight. I'm actually a big fan for this application when it comes to beans. Uh, you can get it from a company called Harmony House and a lot of other places of actually freeze-dried beans, which give you all the advantages of dried beans from a weight stance, but all they need is hot water to be rehydrated, and they come out pretty good. Uh, I want to cut down on fuel usage. My rice, I don't do a lot of rice in the house, but rice for traveling is great. It's calories. It tastes good. Whatever you throw on it, it tastes like. So if we have some chicken bouillon and throw it in our rice water, we have chicken rice. So I, I love that. But stick to things like, you know, the minute rice type products for stuff like that because we, we reduce our cooking. Try to think about how you can simplify everything you're doing when you're cooking on the road. David and I just took a trip up to see Nicole Sauce in Tennessee. It was pouring rain on the way up. We were going to do an on-route on little cooking episode We ended up not doing it. We did it on the tailgate after we got there. I took some smoked deer sausage. We had some fresh kale, uh, some better than bouillon, some seasoning and stuff like that, uh, some small potatoes. We made a soup on the tailgate of the truck. It took 15 minutes. Everybody that ate it said, this is fantastic. And, 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 that, and I did it. You, know, you mentioned the Cap Chef oven. I'm not a huge fan of that because it's bulky, it's big, and it's expensive. The Camp yep. Chef stove. 100 bucks roughly. Yep. You know, it's got a ton of power. And what I like about it over things like a turkey fryer or something like that, number one, it's it's a blind stove design is what they call it. So it actually does pretty well in wind. Uh, but two, you got a lot more control there on your temperature. Mm -hmm. I'm not actually a person that's used induction a lot. Uh, I know all the good things about it, people say. Uh, but I am old school, I guess, when it comes to cooking. I love gas. And yes. what you will notice if you go into a restaurant, you will not see induction cooktops. Nope. Right? You will see gas. And that yes. is because chefs know that for every, every method we have of cooking works, but for precision control and having the ability to hot sear and drop down quickly. And again, I don't really know how, and I know scientifically how induction works. I, since I've not used it, I don't want to crap on anybody's pet technology that they love, um, but I'm going to stick to gas, and I'm going to stick to on-the-road meals being as quick, simple, and above all, rewarding as possible. The, the, my, my health food diet and my aversion to carbohydrates, if I'm in this situation and trying to make other people comfortable, mm -hmm. right out the freaking window. Yep. Right? If I can... Take some freaking, um, uh, you know, if I clean out the, the refrigerator to run out of here and we buy those, you know, tinned biscuits for, like, the kids, man, mm -hmm. I'll turn those suckers into freaking donuts on the road. And it ain't hard. Yeah, it doesn't matter. All you want. I think one of the greatest things people could do from this is go way, way back in the archives of Stephen Harris and check out, like, bread from, bread from gasoline. Yep. And that was where you took your basically your 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 battery pack in the back of your truck while the truck is running 
plugged a bread machine into it and made bread while you're driving down the road. Yes. Fresh bread. Dude, when you are miserable, fresh bread with a dollop of freaking butter, you know, and grab some herbs out of the herb garden on the way and mix that in with your butter and what have you when you make your fresh bread. And see, so I actually am more of a fan, if you're going to use electric, things like the Instapot, things like a bread machine, because their efficiency is in that they're a closed system. Yes. So the heat only has to be maintained uh, very infrequently compared to something like, yes, induction, it's only being used when you turn it on, and it's only being done enough to heat that pan up, and that's that's all good and well. It's still a lot of power, and that heat's still going away, right? So that's kind of where I come down on it. Uh, and, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, I would say, you know, the beans and the rice and the Instapot and the pressure cooker – those are for more like when you become stationary, mm. you're at a location rather than on, on the road. Uh, even with all this electric stuff and everything, uh, when I was traveling the country, uh, if I want us hungry, I'd pull over someplace, again, drop the tailgate, the cooler's right there, my totes and buckets full of stuff is right there. I'll pull out the single propane burner stove on the tailgate, light it, put a blue enameled cup on it, drop in a couple of hot dogs, get out the hot dog buns, some chips, and uh, a cold soda, and that's my snack. I, I mean, even I got all this great electric stuff, Yeah, and I have a trailer, I will still default when I'm traveling to eating off the tailgate of the truck with the cooler right there. So you mentioned cooler. So as we've talked about in this, I think if you're only building a bug out trailer just to bug out in, you probably shouldn't be. You should probably get more utility out of it and go camping. So cooking, camping, cooler. There is nothing that tastes as good with a steak or a grilled squirrel or whatever piece of meat you throw on a grill or into a skillet than fresh corn. On the cob. Fantastic. Take your whatever method you have of boiling water. Boil about a half a gallon of water to a gallon of water. It doesn't take very long. Take your cooler. Throw your corn in the cooler. Dump the hot water on it. Close the lid. Then cook your other food. When you're done, that corn will be perfectly steamed. It will taste fantastic. It will still be nice and hot. And if you want to expedite things, if it's corn on the cob wrapped up in its husks, you don't even have to peel it. Let the person that's going to eat the cob peel the cob, throw the stuff in the campfire, and, and off you go. And, and, and that kind of simplicity and efficiency, I think, whether you're camping, you're bushcrafting, you're bugging out, that's that commonality of thought. Let's make it simple, and let's, do, let's put the energy into something once and let it take its time to do things for us long term. Yep. Yep. Slow, like a slow cooker. Um, I don't even know what this is. The same guy asked me, could I do sous vide cooking with an induction cooktop, pot and pan? How do I pronounce it? What is a jack? Uh, so sous vide is a, is a really cool and, and somewhat sophisticated method of cooking. And the way we, we do this generally, we use a, a dedicated sous vide cook, and there's a lot of like MacGyvered versions on YouTube you can go look at. And what it allows us to do is go to a precision, precision temperature by using water. Because if I heat water to 138 degrees and I put something in that water and I hold that water at 138 degrees, eventually that thing, whatever it is, will come up to 138 degrees, but it will never go to 139 degrees. It right. can't. There's, 
There's laws of thermodynamics at place and what have you. It's surrounded by a temperature. The temperature, as long as we hold it constant, will become constant. The way we generally do this is we'll take something like a steak, and since we don't want to ruin it, we'll heat it to 135 degrees. So it's a beautiful medium rare, or actually really a rare at that point. And when it's done doing that, we'll take it and we'll sear it off, like on a really hot grill or a really hot, uh, like a carbon steel pan, to give that beautiful crust on the outside. And we've probably already herbed and seasoned it before it went in the sous vide. To do this and make it work, we generally take something like a vacuum sealer and we vacuum seal the meat. Because if we just throw meat into that water, that's kind of nasty. And it's going to make boiled meat instead of just transferring the heat. Okay. You, you can do a poor man's vacuum seal with a Ziploc bag where you take whatever you want a vacuum seal and you seal the vacuum bag until there's only like maybe an inch left. And then you push that down in water and the water will compress the bag and shove it out. And you can do that. But generally speaking, while Ziploc bags are something you wouldn't really worry about freezing something in, you probably don't want to be cooking in them because when we bring them up to temperature, they can release some things into the food we really don't want. Overall, I think it's fussy. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's the easiest thing in the world in your house. You take a, a soup pot, throw it up there, take your Anova cooker, stick it in there, set it to 135 degrees and push go. Easy. On the road, this is all kind of pain in the ass stuff that I, I, I don't want to do. Doing it with the Instapot. So not really a bug out question. Could it be done? Yeah. In theory, yes, because it seals. So... Like the simplistic version of this is we heat the water a little hotter than we want so we have a very accurate thermometer. Then we put the water in the food into something that seals up, like a cooler or I guess an Instapot, and we lock it down. And we let it sit for a certain number of hours uh, or an hour or an hour and 15 minutes. My problem with that is there's a significant thermal loss, so it's going to take a lot of farting around with to figure out if I want to end my temperature at 135 or 138 then I need to start my temperature with this volume of water and this volume of meat with this containment vessel at X. People do it on YouTube. I ain't going to try to do it in a bug-out trailer. If you want to do sous vide, I say as cheap as the cookers have gotten, go buy an Anova. Uh, it's like an 800-watt cooker. Uh, it works with your phone with an app. You can set – this is what's cool, Steve, for, like, convenience. You can get take your steaks, right, and let's say – I'm going to mm -hmm. season a steak with certain seasoning, put it in a Ziploc, or, I mean, a, a, freeze, a vacuum seal bag, freeze mm -hmm. it, and label it, throw it in the freezer. Right. You get up in the morning, go, tonight, I want to have steaks. So you pull one out for you, one out for the wife, throw it in a pot, fill the pot with ice, and then add water to it. Stick your cooker in it. Just leave it sit there. Don't turn it on. It's going to stay plenty cold enough to not have any kind of foodborne illnesses. You get, right. you get in your car, you're on your way home. You know that that steak needs to be in there for an hour and 15 minutes at temperature, and it's going to take maybe 45 minutes for that water to come up to temperature and dehydrate the steak or uh, de de uh, defrost the ice and defrost the steak. So two hours before you're going to be home, you log onto your phone. Your Anova's connected to your Internet home through your wireless router. Boom, it starts cooking. You walk in. Your steak's ready. All you do is throw it in the frying pan or on the grill to sear it off. Really cool technology, not for bugging out in my view. <laughs> so is this like a it's like an electric uh pot that you set the temperature on or does it go into a pot no it's usually it's a recirculating pump with a heating element kind of like an on-demand water heater 
is the best way to explain it if you haven't seen one. Oh, okay. It draws water in and expels it at exactly the temperature you set it at. There's other ways to do it, but that's the way. And it's a, it's, it's a higher-end chef type of thing. And it makes the most amazing pieces of meat you'll ever make. You can do it for that. Per and you end up with a steak. Let's say I set it at 135. You get that nice red color. You don't end up with the center being red and the edges being gray and it kind of transcends. You get edge to edge exactly the way you want that steak. And with the iPhone app, let's say you have somebody coming over that's kind of fussy about the way their steak is. You can go, do you want your steak like this, too red? And you just page through pictures. And when they go, yeah, that's, that's, that's you know, cooked enough for me. Okay, I can do that. I can live with uh, 142 on this, fine. A little pink, I can do that. And when you get up to the point where, like, the steak's gray and they go, that's the way I want it, leave. Get out of my house. We don't ruin steak here, right? If you Well done. You're not welcome at the Spirico household. But that's, <laughs> that's how it works, man. And uh, let's, let's, maybe we should roll forward from here, I guess, so we keep getting on to other subjects. Yeah, our last one. Uh, here we go for it. All right. So from Jason in South Carolina, third question. Is, is a 12-volt generator best? Inverter generators are very efficient but I would not think as efficient as a 12-volt generator, which is only run to charge up a battery bank and then be turned off. Well, you think wrong. <laughs> uh, inverter generators are very efficient. Going to a battery charger to a, a battery bank is very efficient. Uh, it's actually computer-controlled and pumping in maximum current. There is no computer-controlled regulator on an alternator on a 12-volt generator. And in fact, you can't even buy a 12-volt generator easily. You have to go ahead and make one. Uh, I uh, am much, much higher in favor of using 12-volt batteries and going to inverters because then you run lamp cord through your trailer and you go to fixtures that come from Home Depot and LED lights that come from Home Depot that cost like two bucks each and, you know, everything 110, 120, it just works. However, I have 12 volt generators. I have made 12 volt generators. I have used kits for 12 volt generators. I have traveled the country three times with a diesel lister powering a semi truck. 12-volt alternator that went to two golf cart batteries that went to an inverter that ran my air conditioner in my little trailer in the desert on 0.7 gallons of gasoline a night. Uh, so I am not going to poo-poo the idea of going 12 volts. There is probably someone out there going, Steve, you know, I'm not a you know house wiring guy, 120 volts and everything else. He goes, but boy, I understand 12 volts. You know what? If you're a 12 volt geek and you know you can wire your trailer with 12 volts and that's what's best for you because you know it and you can do it and you can understand it and you can fix it, I am not going to say that is wrong. Uh, running a trailer completely off of 12 volts has a beautiful simplicity and elegance to it. Now, let's see. There's no, you got to get a, ki a kit, as I said. I'll cover that in a second. 
but you know, stop worrying about efficiency, whether you're going 12 volts or inverter. Okay, just worry about having power, not whether you're 92 or 89 percent efficient. Uh, just you know, throw that out the window. The nice thing is uh, about running with 12 volts in your trailer is <laughs> your car is 12 volts. You can turn your car around and jumper cable your car battery to your trailer battery, recharge it, and power the trailer with the car on idle all at the same time. It works great. you got lights. You can even boil water. There's little 12-volt uh, things that go in cups that boil water. There's even 12-volt coffee pots. Yes, I promised you will have coffee. You got electricity for your cell phone, tablet, small fan, a few other things. There's an elegant simplicity to it. I still prefer me, Steve Harris, to run 120 volts and to use a battery bank with an inverter. But even I have a switch in my bug-out trailer that is 12-volt power to 12-volt LEDs that will light up the trailer in case everything else isn't working. Uh, so, like I said, especially if you go, well, Steve, I can do 12 volts, no problem. Go for it. I am not going to stop you from doing it or criticize it. Now, if you go on YouTube and you look up homemade 12-volt generators, those works, self, you know, DIY homemade 12-volt generators, Yes, I have made them and used them. And I said I traveled the country with them, uh, with an inverter. Uh, and I have also made a 12-volt generator, not only with a kit, but I've gone to Harbor Freight, got an engine, put it on a piece of wood, mounted an alternator on a metal bracket, and put a belt between them and used that as uh a 12 volt generator. Uh, I use a diesel truck alternator for the higher output. There are also car alternators you can find that have a higher output at idle. Many of them might only output 40 amps at idle. Okay, yeah, it's a 200 amp alternator. That's at 8,000 RPMs. <laughs> you know, at idle, it's only 40 amps. So what you do is you get like a five to one pulley ratio and you have the alternator turn five times or every one time the engine turns. That way you can have your engine down around idle and the alternator spinning like crazy. Um, you know, 1,000 RPMs on the motor, 5,000 RPMs alternator, that's, you know, a good ratio. This will work great for your 12-volt batteries. They tend to be a little bit louder since they're more simpler motors you know, they're basically lawnmower motors that are horizontal shaft engine, engines uh, that are running the alternator. Although, I'll tell you about a kit in a minute that can use a lawnmower engine. Uh, you got to have the right alternator. Some alternators require 0 to 5 volts going in the back of them to excite the field and determine how much the alternator is putting out. The Chrysler alternators were famous for this, and it will control how much your alternator is doing with 0 to 5 volts from the computer, and you'd actually have to, like, put a little 
resistor in there and everything and run 12 volts to it in order to get it to do what we call full field. So make sure you're getting an on alternator that others are recommending to you that will run without you having to have 5 volts to excite the field, okay? You'll also, most car alternators today are going to be a serpentine belt uh, in, on the pulley, and you're going to want a pulley that is called a V-belt pulley. It's got standard notch in it. And let me suggest a double V-belt pulley setup. If the pulleys are not freaking aligned just perfectly, Jack, what's that belt going to do? <laughs> well, first it's going to squeal, then it's going to bind, and it's either going to jump off or break. Right. That's it's pretty much the order that that's going to go in. When you have a car and you hear weep, 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 on your belt, and you go get that little can of lubricant and you spray it on there, mm-hmm. that is a temporary solution, and you are asking for a problem. And uh, <laughs> I haven't built one of these but I gotta believe that just like the belts on, they drive a, a tractor, uh, lawn tractors, blades, or an alternator on a car, it works the same way since it basically is an alternator for a car. Yep. Now, listen to this. I'm gonna give you the answer to everything right friggin' now, where to go and how to do this. Stephen Harris approved. Stephen Harris has done it. The easiest thing in, on the net is to go on the internet and look for plates, metal plates that are pre-drilled with slots and holes that hook up an engine to an alternator. I'll give you this website in a second. They will be pre-cut and they'll even tell you the alternator. They'll say that this goes with an AC Delco, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like one of the most common AC Delco alternators you go to AutoZone and they'll go yep we got that 65 bucks or you can go to the junkyard and get one it'll be simple abundant and cheap and they'll tell you which one to get and they'll probably come with a v-belt pulley on them already now there are plates now these plates are metal plates you screw the plate into the engine, and you screw the plate onto the alternator, and you put the, uh, the the belt on that matches everything up, okay? It's all ready to go. There are plates for horizontal motors. That's with the shaft coming out the side and spinning like, like a clock. And there are vertical motor plates, as in lawnmower plates, okay? That has a shaft's that is spin that is facing downwards and the engine likes to be in that vertical position because it's gravity fed the gasoline and it wants to be in that orientation. Well, if you find a lawnmower on the curb and the darn thing engine stuff works, why the hell not get one of these kits and alternators for a vertical uh, engine and make yourself another backup. Two is one, one is nine, three is for me, four is even more. You'll learn something, you'll have fun, you'll have backup, you can make 12 volts, and uh, even I got, it's not here with me right now, it's someplace else, but I'm not getting rid of my diesel uh, lister uh, with my 12 volt alternator. I got two four gauge cables coming through my brick of my house that leads down to my battery bank, which is right now dead since I just moved back to 
my place in Michigan, uh, and I can hook up that outside of my house and charge my battery bank through four-gauge cables, copper cables, so even I, with all my other power things, still maintain the 12-volt ability. Now, uh, Honda, Briggs & Stratton, there's a bunch of motors, small enginewarehouse.com. Jack will put it in the show notes, but it's just like I, I said, small engine warehouse, S-M-A-L-L-E-N-G-I-N-E-W-A-R-E-H-O-U-S-E, not whorehouse, warehouse. Um, it's the place I have bought many a small engine from. I mean, dozen. Okay. They're a great company, great prices. They'll ship it to you quick. Harbor Freight is also a great place to get a small engine. May I suggest the electric start ones because Steve Harris hates pulling a cord. I got starter fluid with taped onto every generator I have just to start the thing up after a while. The number one place to get these plates to give you 12-volt ability and I mean plates pre-drilled, inexpensive. They've been selling them for over a decade. Uh, and with all the instructions you want, it's called theepicenter.com. T-H-E-E-P-I center, C-E-N-T-E-R. Not the epic center, the epicenter, as in the middle of the earthquake, Okay. It is the place to go for these plates. They are the one place that has been making them for over a decade and selling them. They'll have them for vertical motors like lawnmowers. They'll have them for horizontal shaft engines to run alternators. All pre-drilled, cut for mounting. I think they got telephone support. Uh, slots so you can tighten the alternator and then as the uh, belt expands. You can unloosen it and tighten it some more as it's running. It makes life simple. The epicenter.com and their metal brackets for making a 12 volt generator are 100% Harris approved. Have them, own them, built them, use them. Great place. Good question. Running 12 volts, just like going all propane, I'm not going to poo-poo you. I'm all about you doing, so is Jack. We're all about you doing what you can do today with what you have, right? Absolutely, and I'll just throw a few things on top of that. One, I don't think it's ever a bad idea to go out and build something yourself and learn. I, I, I don't. I, I don't care what it is, like because what you learn by doing that, is more valuable than the product that comes out at the end. Yes. By building a 12-volt generator, the skill set you developed is more valuable than the 12-volt generator. And you can almost replace 12-volt generator with fill-in-the-blank, an aquaponics system, a composting system, you know, uh, a, a, a media storage system, whatever. Um, however, like, so this is how I kind of look at 12-volt. The only way I would do a system that's primarily based on 12-volt is like if I had my, like my little off-grid cabin, right? And to me, then, like, okay, you know, using 12-volt uh, components with a 12-volt direct current system is more efficient. I'm not going to get bogged down in that, but I'll, I'll you know, acknowledge the total, if you measure the total efficiency, sure. But maybe, right, because 
Efficiency is about more than just that end product. It's about everything that goes into building that end product. You mentioned mm -hmm. four-gauge wire. Right. I, I don't know if you checked. It's kind of expensive. Yes, it is. Right? And, and it, the, the further you go, the bigger the wire gets. That's right. So if we have a little Unibomb bomber shack, uh, you know, okay, we have even a small two-bedroom home for our off-grid cabin. We start going across some serious distances with power, even with a central location. It's more efficient from a construction standpoint to run freaking AC. Um, yep. If I built my little Unabomber shack, like uh, like Willie says from uh, uh, The Simpsons, and it was mostly 12-volt, I promise you that attached to those batteries would still be an inverter for AC when I needed it. And that's because right. if I need something and I go to Walmart and buy it, Inevitably, it's got a plug on it. It runs 120 volts. Um, and if I need, like, all of a sudden, well, you know, it'd be really nice if I had some power to run a pump for that pond I'm putting in 100 feet away from the house. Being able to run an extension cord out there is nice. So I don't know that I would ever build a system, even if I was generating power in the DC space, that didn't include AC in it because it's so cheap, it's so easy. Uh, it is so efficient from a standpoint of use and, and cost and cost effect. You know, it's mass manufactured. Yeah. Every 120 part. Yeah. Like you were saying, if I was uh, wiring up my little cabin and I ran AC and I basically run extension cords. Yep. Right. For my power. It's not called compliant. Well, where I'm going to put my Unibomber shack, there's no codes. Right. So <laughs> that's, you know, so I, I just want to kind of say like, 12-volt to me is one of those things that you may become a serious enthusiast with. You may just play with it. That's fine. From a tra bug-out trailer standpoint, you have no idea where you're going or where you're going to get to. But the one thing you do know is as long as you get away from the area of disaster, there's probably AC power there. Because they, you know, a long time ago, our government doesn't do a lot of things really well, but... Back then, I think they cared a little bit more, and they went, you know, this new electrical stuff? I think this would be cool if it went everywhere. So whatever we got to do, let's make that happen. So there's almost no place you can go in America today where there are people that there's not a little like little face thing on the wall. You can stick a cord in and power didn't come out of it. So trying to be the most universal you can and the most adaptable you can I think it makes sense that whatever system you build in your trailer, you make sure that it can produce and be charged from AC power, even if your primary drive means is a 12-volt generator. Yes. Yes. I, and all you do is get a computerized. I've been playing with the Polk brand uh, chargers. They beat the Schumachers all really? to hell. Yeah, I, except mine broke. I got to call them and get it fixed and see how they treat me before I make it Harris approved. Gotcha. Uh, The only reason I advocated the Schlumachers and the battery bank video was because there was nothing else for you to buy. There was no – my favorite computer-controlled three-stage charging uh, battery charger was no longer made anymore. So, you know, what could I do? Uh, um, so even if you build it out with 12 volts, you put a 12-volt charger on it and an inverter on it, you still got a 12-volt trailer. One of the reasons I can tell you right now to have a good inverter on a 12-volt system, even if you're all 12-volt, is during that six-hour blackout, I went down and looked at my sump pump after six and a half hours, and the sump was getting full, and I was going to have to run power 
uh, down to my thump, you know, 800 watts for about 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And I'm 1600 watt, you know, surge, turning it on. But uh, as soon as I was unplugging the sump pump to go plug in the cable to give it power, uh, the power came back on okay. and the sump pump trained itself. But there's a perfect example of even though you've gone all 12 volts of having uh, the inverter on the 12-volt system. So Eve, if you never used an inverter before, it's not going to kill you. Modified sine wave is fine. The $20 one at Walmart is fine to start with. If you know 12 volts, go ahead, wire your trailer up with 12 volts. Festoon LED light bulbs and Festoon holders, F-E-S-T-O-O-N, are a great way of putting in uh, lights in a trailer of any color, of any brightness. Uh, you can find them on eBay and Amazon really inexpensively. Uh, basically, they're replacements for dome light. Your dome light many times in a car is what's called a festoon. It looks like a fuse holder, only it's bigger, and the light is bigger than a, f- the f- a fuse, but it's got LEDs on them. They're really awesome. So, like I said, if you're only a 12-volt guy, you're only comfortable with 12 volts, you know, go ahead and say, well, I can fix 12 volts. Go ahead. I mean, it's really important for it's Everything fails on the road, so you got to be able to fix it. But go ahead and put an inverter on it, play with it, learn about it, make it one to grow on. Jack's the same as me. We're all about education. Yeah, I mean, you could build your 12-volt system, get yourself an inverter, and get yourself a good charger. And then if you you don't have to hardwire anything in. Just clamp them on. Clamp it on if it's a higher-watt inverter and you have a large system and bolt it on. If you get somewhere and you you, you want to chop your batteries off and AC's available, freaking plug the charger in and clamp it on the battery bank. As long as you keep it at 12-volt, positive and negative, you're good. Um you know, that just makes sense. One thing I want to make sure I note here, though, if you are doing 12-volt systems, one of our sponsors, Ready-Made Resources, has an incredible line of DC-powered appliances. If you can think of it, they've got it. Now, you will notice that the equivalent DC product is generally more expensive than the equivalent AC product, so we're back to financial efficiency. But if you want to go 12-volt, they have it, and they have people that actually answer the phone, in America, and talk to you where you can understand them, and they will go through it for you, and they will help you pick out what's best for you, including saying, don't do this. Yes. Ready-made will tell you, this is not for you, don't do this, you're better off with another solution. You know That's why I've had them as a sponsor for eight years. Uh, I've known Ready-made resources for close to 20 years or so. Ready-made resources is obviously Jack Spearco approved, it's Steve Harris approved as well. Ready-made resources. I mean, if you don't know what dehydrated food to get or anything, <laughs> what, what, anything just, you know, you just like, you know, I want to try some dehydrated peanut butter and see how it goes. Just go to Ready-made and get it. You know, they will treat you. They've been in the business for a long time. They're about, they're the same thing as we are. They're about educating and enabling you to do things. And they're a, a great resources. They're one of the giants of the preparedness people, of the preparedness business. There are probably a lot of people 
who are alive or at least went through a disaster comfortable uh, because of that company. Definitely. Awesome, Steve. Well, I think we've run out another one, man. Uh, we, we only got like within one question of finishing your book this time, so I think we did better. Well, um, I'm, I'm getting better at... Knowing uh, how big a book <laughs> yeah, to make. Yeah. I'm getting, getting better at... Uh, Knowing how uh, how much to put into it, and uh, I agree. You know, make them an hour fifteen. Then you can have your hello, your goodbye, your sponsors, your song of the day, your little Jack speech, and it makes for an hour and a half show. And I think that's something we're, we're, easy we're for people. To, yeah, we're close to it here. We might have exceeded a bit, but I'm, I'm not sure how much time we uh, we bullshitted before we started. So. I think we're pretty close on time, but uh, but Steve, man, thanks you for being with us again. And uh, man, uh, I, I think that this is probably one of the best series we've ever done. I think it's definitely the best thing we've done together. And uh, again, I appreciate you doing the legwork on this because you guys just need to know, man. When I say Steve's writing the books, he's going through all your questions and weeding them down and combining them and coming up with notes and everything. And every morning, uh, right before I begin, I get an email with an attachment. And, and that gives us the outline for the show. I could not have added something this complicated to what we're doing without Steve's help. So, Steve, man, thank you for your assistance on this. Hey, I, Jack, you, I mean, you, you know, people might – I don't make anything off of Jack Spiracle's shows anymore. When I started, the attention was great and the, and the traffic was good, but everyone is banner blind to Steve Harris now. <laughs> and I mean, I could say, you know, free sex and beer, you know, at, you know, 1234.com, and it's like five people would go, would go there. I mean, really, thank you for providing me with an outlet for what I love, and it's my charity, which is preparedness and helping people. The Survival Podcast, uh, I'm so dedicated to it because, I mean, you guys, you guys will send me pictures like, wow, someone did it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a great outlet for me to be able to contribute to and to be able to help people. And I love it. It's a, it's a great, great thing that you've built, Jack. And I'm a proud, very, very proud to be, you know, a small cog in the machine that is the Survival Podcast. I'm thrilled. Well, again, thank you for being with us today, Stephen. Uh, next uh, next month, first Tuesday, uh, we'll be here. We did make an audible call this time around, guys. If the first Tuesday is the first day, we're probably not going to do that, depending on what's going on in our lives. But generally speaking, first Tuesday of the month, all the way through 2018. Again, Steve, thanks for being with us today. <laughs> Thank you, Jack, and thanks to everyone. Oh, Stephen1234.com for all my stuff, all my previous shows, and all my free how-to stuff. Go there and take a look. Again, I forgot my web, my own website. I'll see you, Jack. always love having Stephen Harris on. We always have a great time together. And, again, I really do think this is one of the better things that Steve and I have ever done on TSP. Uh, this series, it ended up not being all about bugging out in trailers today, but I think that's the thing, that when you put yourself in that position of what would I do if I had to, you come up with all of the different scenarios that would be necessary, like feeding yourself, clothing yourself, keeping yourself healthy, keeping yourself sanitary, etc. So this is all right up the alley of not just bugging out, bug out trailers, but preparedness in general. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and uh, remind you guys that you can help support the Survival Podcast in two ways. One of those is by joining the Member Support Brigade. All you got to do is go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on Members, 
to learn more. You'll get so many discounts on so many things you're probably going to buy anyway that your membership will pay for itself. Then you'll be supporting the show and making a profit while you do it. It just makes sense. Please consider doing so. You get a lot of great other benefits. Check it out today at survivalpodcast.com thesurvivalpodcast.com, and click on Members. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, prior service, and first responders, all of you qualify for a discount. Email me before, not after you join, at jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com with TSPC service discount in the subject line. I'll give you that discount code so you can save some money on a product that's already a great value. With that, the other way you can help us, do your online shopping. Where? Dun-dun-dun, tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z.com. Tspaz.com. If you go to tspaz.com, you're going to see all the reviews that I've done. You can click on a link and you can go over and see the deals of the day on Amazon. And you can see the most current reviews I've done with another link there. Or you can just go to TSP, Survival Podcast, and you'll see, you know, you start scrolling through and you'll see the most recent reviews as well. Today, the review that I have for you is part of my multi-piece fertility program for my gardens, uh, my grow beds, my trees, my everything. I use these same products Maybe a little bit differently applied or different timing, but I use them on everything. And this is kind of my silver bullet, so to say. It's GS Plant Foods Liquid Kelp Fertilizer. Liquid kelp is kind of like magic when it comes to giving your plants what they need to kind of go beyond what you would expect. Um, let me give you some of the things that liquid kelp will do for plants because of the micronutrients, minerals, etc. that are in them. It improves seed germination, increases root development, increases bloom set and the size of flowers and fruit, increases and stabilizes chlorophyll in plants, which results in darker green leaves and increased sugar content in plants. It relieves stress in plants caused by extreme weather conditions, increases plant vigor, and thus imparts a greater resistance to disease, insect attack, drought, and frost. Increases microorganisms in the soil that can fix nitrogen from the air. Increases mineral uptake from the soil and into the plant. Increases the storage life of fruits and vegetables by retarding the loss of protein, chlorophyll, and RNA. Retards the aging process in plants, thereby lengthening the production season. That is not my opinion. These are all facts that have been proven by using natural liquid kelp, specifically as a foliar feed, which means we dilute it in water and spray it on plants. This is, this is well-known stuff. This is the best product at the best value that I have found so far. There are people who have told me about buying kelp meal and kelp powder and basically making your own. I'm going to play with that. It may be somewhat cost savings, but the way I look at this, I buy it by the gallon because I use a lot of it. Most of you can buy it by the quart. But a gallon, a, a gallon is like 39 bucks with shipping because it's kind of heavy. Um, but that gallon will make me about 128 gallons of foliar spray. 128 gallons for 40 bucks. Um, the, the quart size uh, is like 16.95. And that will make you 32 gallons for 16.95. You see the gallon jug weighs out as a better overall deal, but if you have like a few garden beds and all, a, you know, a quart's going to last you a couple years. But if you take this and you add it to my full um, fertility program, and there's a link where you can see all of those products, but they're the liquid kelp, Garrett juice, Dr. Earth, and a mycorrhizal fungi inoculation, you will not believe the difference in the production of your garden, the health of your garden, the pest resistance in your garden, 
Those four, there's some other things I do, but those are the four primary. That's the pillars of my fertility program in, in conjunction with compost and mulch. Check it out today, GS Plant Foods Natural Liquid Kelp and Turbocharge Your Garden and Your Growing this year. All you need is a little half-gallon spray bottle from Lowe's for about eight bucks. Uh, mix it up, spray it in the mornings or the evenings, and you really can't overdo it with this stuff. The only thing that might happen is your leaves will have little brown spots on them from the kelp. That actually forms a protective barrier and helps them, by the way, though. All right. So with that, let's talk about our song of the day. I really like this song. It's Sticks Week, um, and this song is a song I've forgotten all about. It's called This Old Man, and this is really a tribute to fathers in my view. I think it's probably a tribute to his father in particular, and I'm sure there's – I can't find like a song fax on it or something like that, so I don't have the true backstory, but it sounds very personal to me, and a lot of Sticks music was very personal. But – Even though my father took a far, far different approach to his life, being more of an entrepreneur than a factory worker, this this is very true to my heart and who my dad was and understanding life more and more as we age through the eyes of our parents. When we're young, we have the visions and the dreams of the youth. And we have something special when we're young, a belief that we can do anything, a willingness to take risk, a willingness to put ourselves out there in energy, that is so valuable if we, if we make the most of it while we have it. And as we age, we come, become more conservative, we become more tempered. But in that, we also become more wise. And we begin to realize why our fathers said the things that they said, or did the things that they did, or didn't take the risks that they didn't take. Why our fathers were the men that they were, and how we are becoming the men that we are, and we, I mean, there's there's a saying, they become more like my father every day. And I think that's the case for many of us, especially if we had good fathers. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Showing love is simply